0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you checking us out on one of our fine affiliate stations across North America, the Conspiracy Show app, of course, a free download, the YouTube channel. And please uh, take a moment and hit the red sub button, if you haven't already done so, on the YouTube channel, The Conspiracy Show. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. If you like The Conspiracy Show, uh, check out my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. It drops three days a week, new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Conspiracy Unlimited. And just go to Conspiracy Unlimited podcast. To listen and subscribe, and don't forget my other podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. If you love rock and roll and you love mysteries, the paranormal, true crime, unsolved murder, uh, strange synchronicities involving some of your favorite rock icons, I think you're going to really enjoy The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, and it's available at Apple Podcasts and Google Play. New episodes drop Wednesdays at midnight, 12 a.m. Eastern, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. Enjoy. On March the 13th, 1997, something extraordinary happened in the skies over Phoenix and across Arizona, parts of Nevada, on that clear evening, a parade of low-flying, mile-wide, V-shaped formations, orbs and craft glided silently overhead, attracting the attention of at least 10,000 people. The U.S. Air Force identified the lights as flares, dropped by A-10 Warthog aircraft performing training exercises at the Barry Goldwater Range in southwest Arizona. Hollywood actor Kurt Russell, uh, the Escape from L.A. star, was traveling in a private plane into Phoenix, and uh, he spotted the phenomenon and quickly reported it to the control tower at the airport. Five Symington, then governor of Arizona, initially mocked. The whole incident, you'll remember, he called a a press conference to discuss the event and then brought out somebody in a cheesy alien costume. But years later, he admitted he actually witnessed the event, stated he believes it was of extraterrestrial origin, and said the military's official explanation that it was caused by flares is total bunk. So, what have we learned about the Phoenix Lights 21 years later? Dr. Lynn Katai is an internationally acclaimed physician and health educator for over 40 years who pushed aside her accomplished medical career to pursue answers for the silent, mile-wide V, delta, and boomerang-shaped objects that were witnessed by over 10,000 people. And she photographed up close and personal prior to, during, and after what is now hailed as the most witnessed, most documented, and most important mass anomalous sightings in modern history. Dr. Lin was leading the cutting-edge era of early disease detection and prevention as chief clinical consultant at the Image, uh, Imaging Prevention Wellness Center at the uh, world-renowned Arizona Heart Institute in Phoenix, Arizona, until coming forward in 2004. After seven years of anonymity and intense research as a key witness to the still unexplained mass UFO events throughout Arizona called the Phoenix Lights. Besides appearing on hundreds of national and international TV and radio programs, including Coast to Coast AM, the History, Science, Travel, Discovery, and National Geographic channels, Dr. Lynn has recently released the 20th anniversary editions of her best-selling Phoenix Lights, A Skeptic's Discovery That We Are Not Alone and the internationally award-winning Phoenix Lights Beyond Top Secret Documentary, and the groundbreaking Phoenix Lights UFO and Crop Circle Graphic Novel Activities Coloring Book, all available at Amazon.com. Dr. Lynn Kitai, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
1: Oh, I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, and boy, what what an introduction. Thank you so much, and uh, hello to your listeners, and I'm thrilled to be able to share the rest of the inside uh, Phoenix Light story, because as you know, there is much more to the story. You gave some great highlights there, I have to tell you, Richard, but um, the story is, is so mind-boggling. I mean, when thousands of people were looking skyward purposely for a g- glimpse of the Hal-Bob Comet on March thirteenth, nineteen 1997, which was very clear in the northwest sky, they also caught a glimpse of Mile, and we just found out, actually, I mean, this has been going on for 21 years with the study of, of this sighting. It's the most um, documented, most witnessed, and, and most important. It's been hailed as the most important uh, mass anomalous sightings in, in modern history. And uh, things keep evolving, as we know. And just recently, Peter Davenport, the uh, director of the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, uh, divulged that from his uh, analysis of thousands of reports, uh that and and I'm gonna be talking more about that. It wasn't just one or two events, it was many events from three PM in the afternoon till five thirty the next morning and for weeks before, by the way. But on March thirteenth there were multiple uh craft, we think ten different craft, uh and uh at least one of them was eight miles wide according to him. I mean we're talking incredible, incredible massive uh, formations of lights. People just saw lights that seemed to be attached to something, and other people saw these actual crafts. And if anyone's near a computer and wants to go to the Phoenix Lights Network website, which is packed with information and lots to explore and consider, and go to the GAP page, G-A-P-G, Geometrical Animation Project, um, they'll see the illustrations and animations of these 10 different crafts from a 12-year study from the National uh, UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, as well as Arizona MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. And I'm going to be presenting there, actually, at the end of the month, for the International Symposium in Philadelphia in the 27th and 28th. We can talk about that. That's exciting. Yes. And uh, the Village Labs, which was a clearing lab here, a computer lab, as well as Frances Barwood, Councilwoman Frances Barwood, uh, from thousands of reports and two or more people had to see the same craft, what people were describing. Um, it, it was either one craft that could morph, or the perspective from where the person was standing, or an actual parade, and that's what they finally uh, concluded, because there were multiple things happening in multiple locations at the same time, and not only in Arizona. I mean, there's so much mis and disinformation out there. That's why. I- finally came forward uh, as, a, as a scientist, and as a, uh, an or as a physician, to let people know they're not crazy, um, that most anomalies can be explained, but uh, there is a small percentage that cannot, and just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. We may just be looking on the AM dial for an FM frequency, but certainly as an educator, and you had mentioned some of my background, and for 40 years, I've been uh, doing health reporting and uh, actually developing curriculums on vital health issues like AIDS and teen pregnancy and substance abuse prevention education that Dis- Discovery Education is distributing worldwide. So when this fell in my lap as an educator, um, and and I am a key witness with the only 35 millimeter authenticated, analyzed and authenticated by military and uh, university is true unknowns. Um, it became very clear that, that I really had to come forward with the uh, with the data. So, when you combine all that, um, and finally coming forward uh, in 2004 with this incredible uh, information, it's, it's a thrill to share it uh, with your audience. So, anyway, there was uh, ten. Uh, craft that we do have the illustrations on the gap page. If people want to want to look at that and the photos as well, the 35 millimeter right. photos on the photo page.
2: What if, um,
0: what's the which latest uh, to this
1: day cannot be explained or denied.
0: Right, you mentioned uh, the work of uh, Peter Davenport from the um, mm-hmm. National UFO Reporting Center, and, and according to his analysis, one of these craft were eight feet across. What else have you learned? Eight miles. Eight miles. My, my apologies. Eight miles. Um yeah, eight feet would not be particularly yeah, interesting. Eight, eight eight miles eight miles.
1: And by the way, the technology, Richard, I mean just the massiveness of whatever this was alone was startling. But it was totally silent. I mean that's the other thing. And very low at rooftop level. Um some people saw these craft take off at blank speed without even dispersing the air. others saw Orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment, and then redock with it later. I mean, the technology was amazing. In fact, one of the craft, if you look at the uh, photo, at the GAP page on the uh, Phoenix Lights Network website, um, one of the craft actually split in two and then shot straight up. In the air, and and the story as it unfolded is really amazing too. Because if you if you uh, take a listen to our, or watch our our uh, internationally award-winning documentary, you'll see that at, at about 3 a.m. talking about Peter Davenport, there was a call from an alleged crewman from Luke Air Force Base that reported very detailed uh, report that one of these craft was hovering right over central Phoenix at 7th Avenue and Indian School about 8.30 that night and military jets were sent out to intercept it and get gun camera film which you heard that they did and as they approached it the lights started to dim and then the entire thing blinked out and disappeared and he said he was one of the people that helped one of the pilots out of his aircraft because he was so shaken up by what happened and there were civilians that actually saw this happen and reported later that after the military left, the craft reappeared and continued gliding very slowly towards uh, the airport. And, and uh, we have reports from air traffic control uh, that they saw, it too. In fact, I was communicating with them for two months, because two months before the mass sighting, there was the exact same formation of lights that I would capture on video, one of the signature videos, handful of signature videos of that night, head-on, Turning a V shape, you can see that on the, on the photo page. And it was so unnerving because I had had a very close sighting and that's where it all began. In 95, both my husband, who's also a physician, and I had a very close sighting to our home, uh, in Paradise Valley. We live, uh, high in the mountains and have a panoramic view of the city skyline that, uh, you know, we were very familiar with what planes and helicopters and streetlights and car lights and so forth looked like. This is right outside our bedroom window in a no fly zone, so I can say firsthand. I've seen this up close and personal. Uh it definitely was not from here and uh and it was some kind of advanced technology and seemed to have an intelligence behind it and I got thirty five millimeter pictures of them two years before the mass sighting. Right. And if you look at those pictures, the same exact phenomena.
0: Doctor Lane, we've got to take a time two out
1: before and during the mass sighting are in the same location then.
0: All right, Dr. Lynn, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to delve into the Phoenix Lights. And Dr. Lynn will be at the MUFON Symposium 2018 down in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, near Philadelphia, July 27th, 28th, 29th. We'll talk more about that as well. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Dr. Lynn Katai is with us, and she'll be a featured speaker at the MUFON 2018 Symposium happening July 27th to the 29th at the Crown Plaza in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And for more information, you can go to MUFONSymposium.com. MUFONSymposium.com. Uh, I, I was mentioning earlier that the, the timing of this is very propitious. I uh, had Dr. John Brandenburg on. Uh, last week, and of course he's talking about uh, Mars and so forth, and the 27th is the date of the lunar eclipse, the blood moon, and Mars will be the closest it's been to Earth in 15 years, so uh, the timing couldn't be better. What are you going to be speaking about the, uh, the, the, at the conference, I mean Very specifically? Well, cool.
1: um, actually, we're offering a free presentation on Friday morning from 10 to, to noon um, what what's really interesting, and as the story unfolded uh, it, it just is very intriguing because I had no interest or knowledge in this topic at all before my husband and I saw our close sighting in ninety five after thousands of people saw what I had been seeing, and actually it was a couple weeks before the mass sighting that i because I had been uh, documenting them on film for uh since January of ninety seven and actually called around and found air traffic controllers who saw the same exact thing as I was photographing them, but over Class B restricted airspace. I mean, the, the story is really amazing. When you when you look at the data, I mean, they knew they, they were very alarmed because it showed up uh, not only in Class B restricted airspace, but not on radar. They didn't know what it was. Anybody that goes into that 30-mile radius, especially 1,000 feet altitude, must call into the tower, and no one did. So they took their binoculars to look and in their own words saw six points of light that seemed to be attached to something, massive span, over a mile wide. But they couldn't quite see what it was attached to. And you would hear that again, besides craft. That's what people were also seeing two months later. And one of them was a meteorologist and said that the entire thing turned as a unit and then raised very, very slowly against the wind. And while I was shooting it, and then moved slowly behind South Mountain, and when I said, so what was it,
2: they they,
1: they had no idea. They said, beats me. I said, your air traffic controller, no one's <laughs> in our airspace. They ruled out every conventional possibility besides flares and, and balloons and helicopters and whatever. And we kept in contact up until and including March 13th, um, when, again, uh, not only did I uh, videotape the signature video of the three endpoints of a giant or triangle, but they I conferred with them afterwards. They saw the same exact thing in the same exact spot. But what was really interesting is that a week before, I called around. This is how close I was, Richard. A friend of a friend had a neighbor who had a friend who knew the past president of MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. So I've been really connected with them from day one, and I called him up. I said, I have a picture from 95 of the close sighting that I'd like to find out what it is and have someone of knowledge take a peek at it. And I was seeing these, these orbs in different formation at a distance, which other people were as well, by the way. And he refers me to a, a field investigator the following week. Um, for Wednesday. He calls Tuesday to postpone. The only window of opportunity I had was Friday morning. I knock on his door. He opens his door and says, did you see the mass sighting last night? And I said, well, I saw something very similar to what I had seen two months ago, and actually I have video. And he said, well, NBC is going to be here in a half an hour to interview him, because thousands of people saw these mild to larger V-formations and craft and there was a mass sighting last night. That was the first I had heard of it. And I said, whoa, I'm out of here, because I had done health reporting for NBC, not only in Philadelphia, which is another little uh, coincidence with Jessica Savage and Mark Krim in the 70s, but I also uh, worked in, in um, Phoenix doing health reporting at NBC. And I said, I'm out of here. It's not about me. It's about the data. Take a copy of the video. Share it with Ever, so, uh, whoever, so people can see what we saw. And I left, and by the, that afternoon, the following day, March uh, March 14th, my video was on every news channel. And what I'm, to answer your question, from that day on, I started documenting everything that I could to find out a logical explanation, which I still do not have 21 years later. But what I do have, um, not only the only 35-millimeter photographs of these anomalous aerial phenomena, but I had amazing video from reports, TV reports, where my video appeared. And what I'll be sharing on Friday morning from 10 to 12 uh, on the 27th is how the story unfolded through the media. It is just fascinating. And then on Saturday morning, I will be talking about the theme of of the whole conference is the future of humanity, and as you mentioned at the top, uh, just recently, because I've been working on a curriculum, that's my passion, is youth education of vital health issues. But now I'm uh, really honing in on, on uh, youth education of this vital issue. And I produced a book, actually a graphic novel, activities coloring book for all ages called uh, The Phoenix Lights, UFOs and, and Crop Circles, uh coloring book Adventures of Sue F O, field observer, and Hugh, H. U. G. H F O and he's a little alien and I worked with a Disney Illustrator and a map maker who is unbelievable who actually came out and measured um, how big these uh craft were and the exact locations and we uh have eighty crop circles and activities. It's really cool. So on Saturday Morning, I'm going to be talking about, uh, how the Phoenix Lights has inspired future generations because I include kids and I go to schools and, uh, certainly we have a, now that we have the documentary that's won over a dozen International Film Festival awards, we present that every year at the Scottsdale Harkin Shea Theater and, uh, and there's always a dozen or more kids that are there and many doing um... book reports on the book and uh... now we have this this new graphic novel which is really fun and and more and how how it's really impacting uh... young people because they thirst for this knowledge and there is nothing there is nothing in our history book so i'm trying to change that uh... uh... doing what, what we can to to get the information out in a credible and professional way and then we will be doing a panel uh, right after that at noon um, at the conference with some of the wonderful people that'll be speaking there, and then uh, at actually twelve fifteen they're also showing the documentary, which is free to the public. And I invite everyone that's that's nearby to please come and watch the documentary. And I'll be doing a Q and A uh, after that till about two two thirty. So it's going to be a full day, and uh, we're getting a lot of the Phoenix Lights information out there, which is. Really, uh, really exciting and, and uh, important because right. it, it speaks for itself, and it's it's really, really uh, interesting how the story unfolded. If we have time to talk about that,
0: well, of of the ten thousand witnesses, uh, I mean, how what do they? Th- those that you've been in contact with, what do they tell you about the the long term effect of uh, of this sighting on them?
1: That's that's really uh, a great question, Richard, because uh beside the story itself because there was no investigation, no explanation, and and here it really impacted people in real time and, and long term, which I'll share in a second. Um, there was nothing there was nothing until uh months later when a front page USA Today article opened our sighting to international scrutiny. We were deluged by media from all over the world. We didn't have social media then and the very next day and you alluded to that at the beginning, um, the former governor Symington actually uh, uh, called an unscheduled press conference for that afternoon to divulge the culprit of the lights over Phoenix. And he comes marching out one of his aides in a giant alien head costume, we'll talk about that, um, and made a mockery of it, which was really disconcerting, especially parents that were with children that saw this thing that was like two giant shopping centers wide um, and uh, kind of put a lid on it, and a month later, and I really tried to investigate Richard um, and called every uh, uh, military base, and they were more interested in what I had, and they had no clue what it was. Uh, and yet I get a call a month later, this is July 24th, from one of the heads of the PR at uh, the National Guard. And she said, oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I was thrilled. I wanted any logical explanation. She said, do you believe that nobody ever looked at the log for uh, visiting Air National Guard and the Maryland Air National Guard was sending off flares in Operation Snowbird, which I later found out meant diversionary tactical maneuvers, um, and that must be what some people saw. And I said, well, when was the Merlin uh, Air National Guard in town? She said Mar- March 1st to the 15th. I said, well, were they in town in January? She said, oh, no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, I have 35-millimeter photographs of the same exact phenomena in the same exact location as March 13th, confirmed both times by air traffic controllers as being in Class B restricted airspace over Class B restricted airspace. And she said, you never told me that. And I said, besides, you're telling me that flares that cannot keep a formation, a drift and drop with the wind, have huge smoke trails, and, and cannot keep a formation traverse the entire state and beyond. And, by the way, that was also seen in Nevada and uh, California and New Mexico. And she says, uh, I have a call coming in. I'll get back to you. Well, I'm still waiting.
2: Yeah. And what was
1: really interesting, Richard, and I'll get back to the, to how it affected people, but I wanted to, to, let, to let your audience know how the story unfolded because it wasn't until three years later um, because the flare thing was really you know a logical explanation that people could feed into and i get it uh, most people want a logical explanation but it did not sit well with the witnesses nor did it sit well with councilman francis barwood was the only elected official that innocently asked for an investigation in may and this is this is i bring this up because this is how it affected people uh, not only I'll talk about real-time and long-term as far as the craft themselves, but the ridicule and the snickering. She got plastered when she yes. tried, even just innocently asked for an investigation. Three years later, she was running for Secretary of State on a platform to get answers for the Phoenix Lights, and suddenly we hear the three National Guards were coming into town to send off flares to show everybody the Phoenix Lights, and if you go to the news page on the Phoenix Lights Network website, and just scroll down a little bit to Arizona, the AZ family, that's a CNN affiliate uh, block there, you'll see exactly what it looked like. It was a joke. I mean, this was their shot, and they blew it. They tried to make a triangle. It broke away uh, immediately at huge smoke trails. And by the way, not one uh, witness to the true unknown saw any of those characteristics. So. That kind of put uh, a lid on it, and the craft have never been um, explained. And to, to go to your answer, it was really scary to come forward, by the way. That's why I stayed in Ottawa for seven years and ended up with a 750-page journal seven years later. But in real time, and it's really curious, in real time, you know, we're so inundated with threat, 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 and harm, 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 in the media, and and, uh, and Hollywood and so forth that uh, Dr. Gary Schwartz, who's a, a professor at the University of Arizona and in our documentary, makes a very poignant uh, statement that if you're so ingrained with the threat scenario, how do you think you're going to feel when you see something really massive and unusual? Well, interestingly, children were the first ones to usually see alert their parents that this is my massive V formation of lights was coming towards them, jumping up and down Independence Day, Independence Day but as it got close, a calmness came over everyone adults and children alike a connectiveness to the phenomenon that after it passed they wanted to run after it, get in the car I mean it's amazing when you really look at the data and people tell me over and over again, no one there is not one report in 21 years of harm threat or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights mass sighting. And not only that, but long-term, that's another thing. I'm still hearing from people, especially lately pilots and military that, that saw this. It changed people forever. They they were awakened. People ask me all the time, why? who did this? I don't know. I don't know who did this. I don't know what they were, but I know that they were. And that it really affected people at a very deep level. Some people went into the peace movement, the environmental movement, uh, changed their eating habits. It's amazing when you really look at the data how the Phoenix Lights affected people at a very, very deep soul level. And, you know, when you look at the reality of it, uh, balloons and flares and helicopters don't
0: do that. And we're coming up to a break here. I'll ask you now when we can continue the conversation uh, a little bit after the break. But um, do you ever think about, you know, what would happen if the Phoenix Lights, this mass sighting were to happen today with, with all of the, the the phone cameras and so forth? Uh, I mean, it would, be, it would be a very different story, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. I mean I there they're actually uh, interestingly the internet was just getting started mm-hmm. and you know at the time people ask all the time why weren't there more pictures? Um, I mean I, I feel very fortunate that I happened to catch thirty five millimeter, the only thirty five millimeter, they're in the negative, they cannot be denied or explained. Um, and today with digital it can be manipulated. So one wonders, you know, did they know whoever did this? That, uh, you know, at the time that I, I, you know, certainly it would be very different today if people had their phones out and could really, um, you know, document everything. I'm a documentation person and, uh, and also with social media. I mean, we've come such a long way. In fact, the Phoenix Lights was the first mass sighting that was actually addressed in chat rooms at the time, uh, on the internet and, and we've come such a long way. It would be really, really cool if something like that, uh, happened today and, and people were out and about like they were on March 13th, 1997 looking up at the sky purposely for a glimpse of the Hobop Comet if they had their cell phones with them and we could uh, really document something like this. So hopefully that will happen someday
0: soon. No doubt. All right, Dr. Lynn, stay put. We'll come back and continue to discuss the Phoenix Lights 21 years later. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Lynn Katai, you broke your silence, you came forward years later, but I guess it's been about a year since Kurt Russell, I mentioned him earlier, he came forward and broke a 20-year silence. Have you ever spoken to Kurt Russell or has he reached out to you? Oh, I would
1: love to. (laughs) But I have to tell you, interestingly, and I do not believe in coincidence anymore, Richard, when I called the air traffic controllers the morning after the mass sighting, to see if they saw the same thing I saw, because it seemed to be in the same location, which it was, about a thousand feet altitude over Class B restricted airspace. One of them shared with me that a private pilot had called into the tower to report the lights right in front of them on that approach was him. to Sky Harbor, and I even mentioned that in my book. <laughs> which was um, published in 2004. And then, interestingly, when the uh, his new Galaxy movie was coming out, he was asked by a reporter, he mentioned that the Phoenix lights had happened and that there was a private pilot, and he finally divulged that he was actually that pilot. He had come home one evening, two years after. He was on approach to Sky Harbor, about five miles out, he said, with his son. They have a home here in Carefree. And his son actually saw six lights, just like I photographed, right in front of him. And, you know, they were startled, and he called to report them. And he said that he actually looked back at his log, you know, to see what he had written down. And, of all things, it was him. I mean, he had walked in the door two years later. And this is very interesting, Richard, because you asked how it affected people. Some people actually forgot all about it. It was just... It happened. They saw it. Um, in fact, in, in the book, there is a long oration that a report that was sent to MUFON from a uh, mutual UFO network by a psychiatrist down in Tucson. He was coming up uh, I-10, which is the main highway from Tucson to Phoenix, about two hours south of Phoenix, with his family, his wife and daughter and her friend to a swim meet, and one of these craft was right above their car, and he said the wing span was so massive that not only did it cover both sides of the highway, but went way out into the fields on both sides, and he got a chance to look at it. His wife was driving right above him. He watched it for a while, and he saw these giant, and a pilot would also call these giant lights like a well. The light did not extend outside of the circle like a canister in the, in the ceiling, and they forgot about it. For months until they saw something on tv and then the thoughts and the experience just flooded back and it happened to quite a number of people including kurt russell he said that he just forgot about it for two years he walks in goldie hahn who is his partner um was watching a show on tv and they were talking about the phoenix light and he said it was the kind of thing Like Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters, when he just all of a sudden realized, wait a minute, I recognize that. There's something about it that is very familiar to me. And then suddenly it hit him that he was that private pilot that came into Sky Harbor and and saw it. And uh, was very excited. He looked at his log, and and there it was, right in his log. That's an interesting
0: phenomenon. It's great
1: when when celebrities, and by the way, Alice Cooper (laughs) also came to one of uh, the showings. And he said, came up to me and he said, you know, I saw it, too. <laughs> so There's a lot of people out there right. that saw it. And as you alluded to, too, uh, also after 10 years, right after the 10th anniversary, our former Governor Symington, for whatever reason, decided that he was going to share that he actually saw one of the craft that is an awarded military pilot it was definitely not flares but what he described it was otherworldly
0: right this idea of seeing something like this so dramatic and then sort of forgetting about it or maybe suppressing it or whatever happens i mean i've heard this again and again a friend of mine had a uh, a sighting he was traveling in a car in iran and uh, his father and stepmother were in the car with him and they both saw this enormous craft come out of the sky, and it seemed to be swallowed up by the earth, by the desert. It -hmm. came and went underground. They both watched this, and then he said after it happened, it was like nothing happened. They just continued along on their journey driving, and no one said a word, and they never spoke of it again. What is that?
1: Yeah, certainly many people pulled over their cars and saw it so close up and personal that they did remember what happened, but there are people that... For whatever reason, it just is buried until something awakens it again. And then when it does, it's like a floodgate opens up and they realize it. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I really experience this thing. I mean, everybody comes from a different background, from a different upbringing, from a different worldview. Some people can't deal with this topic and some people don't want to. And that's okay. Everyone in their own time. But that was one of the reasons I came forward, Richard, because as a physician alone, And as an experiencer, I certainly knew firsthand, up close and personal, that when something paranormal happens to you, it is earth-shaking, it is mind-boggling, and as you say, some people just bury it, and other people can't deal with it. And it's very cathartic to share. It's healing to share. And, you know, that was one of the reasons I came forward to say, hey, you know, it's enough. I mean, it's enough with the snickering and the ridicule and the discrediting. It's time we get this topic out in the open. And we address it, we accept it, and we study it so we can find out not only who's driving these things, but also move forward in our own evolution. And the more we talk about it, and the more we can really talk about it openly and honestly and get it out there, which is one of the reasons I came forward, just get the data out there, let people decide for themselves. It is a positive transformation, not only in real time, as we talked about for the witnesses, in just real time it changed their whole perception of the fact that we're not alone that there's something more in the universe
0: we'll take a quick time out dr lynn stays with us the phoenix lights here on the conspiracy show you want the truth you can handle the truth the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back, Dr. Lynn Kitai. Phoenix Lights is uh, with us. You had a, a, a quick story that we didn't get to just before the break. We were talking about how people sort of forget about you know, the paranormal experiences like this, and then all of a sudden something triggers. There's a triggering event maybe, and, they, and then it all comes flooding out. You, and you had another uh, story related to that, I believe.
1: If you'd be kind enough to, to uh, put the correct um link on uh, my facebook page uh, people will please uh, visit the phoenix lights network website and facebook page for the latest updates um, i know that there are there are people that are listening uh to the show right now and i really appreciate that and uh it's important to not only share the hard data but what's really interesting and you asked me about the the uh the personal effects of this there were a number and this is another little aside that it, is so profound. I mean, not only did I find out that there is a very, very strong Native American connection, if we have time, I'd love to get into that, uh, to the Phoenix Lights, but as far as uh, the witnesses, uh, when I was interviewing, quite a few of them had shared with me that they had had near-death experiences as children that was reawakened by the mass sighting, which I found really poignant because I did too. And it was like, whoa, I mean, I, I lay it all out in the book, so people are, are um, you know, I welcome people to, to take a look at it, because that alone is, is a kind of a groundwork for what has happened now. But um, what was really amazing to me is I thought, geez, could there possibly be a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, or unexplained aerial phenomena experience that has a mystical light associated with the experience and lo and behold Again, when I started looking, I really did my homework <laughs> to find out the history, which is a vast history. You don't have time to get into it today, but I do in the in the book and, and touch on it in the documentary. But what really got me is that there were studies at university, the Omega Project, by Dr. Kenneth Ring, like a five-inch book, uh, as well as uh, Dr. Uh, Bruce uh, Grayson at the University of, of Virginia, and um, even Dr. John Mack at Harvard University were all... Coming to the conclusion that there was indeed a connection between all unexplained phenomena, I laid it out very simply in the book, not only is the experience, whatever the experience is, whatever the unexplained phenomena experience is, very similar, but the after effect is so profound. The awakening, the, the positive transformation, the, uh, connectedness that one feels to the universe and to the earth and to each other that may never have felt that before is so powerful. It's life changing. And I started calling all unexplained phenomena an up, the UP, an up, because it is an up. It really changes you forever and, and, uh, o- over and over and I've received thousands thousands of uh emails again I offer people I had mentioned that it's very cathartic and healing when you share even just with one person and if you go to the website the Phoenix Lights Network website there's a contact uh link on top and and I love hearing from people we even have a sharing page on the on the website and I'm hearing more and more from pilots and military now that are retired that are coming forward um, and uh as well as the Phoenix Lights Network uh, website, uh, f- Facebook page. Um, p- please message me. I love to hear from people, and it's very, very healing when people share. So that's uh, another aspect that uh, that it really has touched people not only a profound level, but that I did find the connection between all unexplained phenomena that is is very profound and poignant and
0: important. Uh, of the um, the ten thousand again. Are you hearing stories about strange synchronicities or coincidences in their lives as a result of the sighting?
1: I love that you brought that up, Richard, because... Um I, most of my book talks about that i mean i i 'm a healthy skeptic. My book is the Phoenix Lights a Skeptics discovery that we are not alone when you 're a physician. you must be open to to any possibilities, but I have to see it to believe it and i have uh it's not a believing anymore it's a knowing and uh you know i have to i have to say that um you know it's uh to to really get into this i mean it's it's amazing how i mean what 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 was your question as far as that goes
0: well just the coincidences being reported well, synchronicity well, you know, as far
1: as the coincidence i don't believe in coincidence. <laughs> And here's here's the example. I'm glad you brought that up because six months before, this is just one of many many. As the story unfolded, there were just the puzzle pieces just kept fitting fitting together. Um, six months before the mass sighting, uh, I was invited to present my substance abuse prevention education program at the Gila Bend Indian Reservation, which is uh, in the basin. And if you look at the photo page, there's a picture of the topography. Right south of the airport is South Mountain and a few miles back are the Estrella Mountain Ranges. And there's a basin in between uh, where the Hewlett Bend Indian Reservation, very sacred ground, is located. And they actually intersect at one point. The South Mountains on the left and uh, the um, uh, Estrellas are on the right. And I went to their one school and I presented and I helped them out. They don't really talk to outsiders. And I noticed after the mass sighting, that my pictures seem to indicate, and it's right there in the in the 35 millimeter negatives, that these phenomena kept popping up right where South Mountain and the Estrellas intersect. And so I called them up and I said, Did, did anybody happen to see strange lights? Uh, on March 13th, and they started to giggle. And I said, is that funny? And they said, are you kidding? We've been looking up at them for centuries. We call them sky people, light beings. It's part of their culture. I had no idea, Richard. That was the first I had heard about it when I really, you know, looked into this. I found that indigenous cultures worldwide have been very open to these phenomena and the reality that there are other beings out there and even visiting us. And in fact, the Hopi, Right here in Arizona have protocols to invite these phenomena in. Some believe that they're spirit world coming, their ancestors coming to give them, uh, comfort and guidance and knowledge and inspiration. And I certainly have been inspired, I have to tell you. But they also mentioned that the Estrella Mountains got its name because of the lure and because even the Spaniards of the day might have seen these phenomena, star in Spanish and they also believe that there is a portal or gateway in that area. And, again, if you go to the photo page on the Phoenix Lights Network website and take a peek at the at the data, the a unique uh, collection of these anomalous aerial phenomena that have been analyzed and, and authenticated as true unknowns, uh, they keep popping up in that area in the same spot. So, you know, maybe uh, maybe that's true. But certainly uh, the bottom line is that there. once you uh wake up to the fact that we're not alone and that there are other possibilities out there. And let's be real. I mean, now we know from the Hubble and the Kepler telescopes that there are trillions of other galaxies out there, much older than ours. In fact, our solar system is a very young solar system. <clears throat> it's only 4 to 6 billion years old. And uh, there are scientists out there that are postulating that there could be intelligent sentient beings out there billions billions of years ahead of us and and the ingredients of life are out there we know that oxygen and nitrogen and organic materials and carbon and so forth are out there and we're made of stardust so uh you know the reality is the very real reality is that uh we are probably not alone
0: uh, of the 10,000, anyone did anyone report uh, any other strange phenomena, like missing time?
1: Well, that's another really good question, Richard, because um, the pictures that I took uh, in 95, uh, to my husband and I, it was only a couple seconds, I mean a couple minutes, uh, two, three, four minutes tops. Uh, the year after the mass sighting, there was another interesting sighting that, uh, I alerted um, the other people that had taken video on the night of March 13th that I was seeing these lights again for the first time a year after the mass sighting and just had a feeling they might come back. And we were all ready with our cameras and actually got, and, and the footage, by the way, is in the documentary, uh, a 40-mile-wide, 20-minute array of straight lines and mirror images. And the final thing is a giant triangle. That seems to be a, a huge scenario in these phenomena. Uh, like a pyramid, like what my husband and I saw right outside our bedroom window. And uh, I thought, geez, you know, I had been told, and I really stayed anonymous, by the way, for seven years, but I had met a, a few people, including Linda Moulton Howell, who had recommended that I get in touch with Navy optical physicist Dr. Bruce McAbee uh, about my data. And I really hesitated, but at that point I thought, you know what, I had alerted the other people, and interestingly, serendipitously, the people that took video on the night of March 13th, and there's only a handful. We're north, south, east, and west. So, again, we got this 40-minute array, 20-minute um, array, 40 miles wide. And I thought, geez, I'm going to send footage to Dr. McAbee. And as an afterthought, I put the first and the last picture from the 95 close sighting in the package. He calls me a couple weeks later. He says, um, by the way, how long was that? Sighting in ninety five I said, I don't know, two, three, four minutes tops. He said, Confer with your husband and interestingly my husband was inside. I was outside on the uh balcony taking the pictures and uh, he would never talk about it and I said he's not going to talk about it he said well you've got to confer which I ended up doing I said, just tell me how long you think it was and he confirmed that to him it was also just a few minutes he said that's impossible I said what do you mean and for anybody that's out there that's by their computers that can go on the photo page at the Phoenix Life Network website it is a visual he says first of all and he was the first one to notice that the same exact line of lights the phenomena at a distance, it was over Class B restricted airspace that I would capture two months before the mass sighting and during the mass sighting was in the same spot. There. In 95. Wow. And as I mentioned earlier, some people saw these orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment and then redock with it. Maybe that's what happened. But at any rate, um... you know, as, as he says to me, uh, you know, please confer with your husband. I did. I went back to Dr. Maccabee. He says, not only is the same phenomenon in the background, he says, but look at the skyline. Uh, and I had no idea what he was talking about. He said, there are many lights, groups of lights on in the first picture that are off groups in the last picture. He said, that doesn't happen in a couple of minutes. I'd like you to do an experiment. And by the way, he wrote up a 21-page report that's on our website, and then I talk about it in the book as well. I go out on the balcony one night every hour, the next night every half hour. I also did every 15 minutes. Sent him the pictures. He did such a meticulous analysis to see when the lights start going out. Now I usually take a bath between seven and eight. And we're eight just about and out of time, Dr.
0: We're just about out of time, Dr. Lynn. Um, the, the upshot of this is, is... Well,
1: the upshot is that he, he actually presented it at the 1999 MUFON International Symposium as the first, if not the only, uh, photographic evidence, authenticated photographic evidence of missing time. Uh-huh. There's a lot more to this story that I hope people will check out. The book, The Phoenix Lights of uh, uh, Skeptic's Discovery, that we are not alone to uh, to read about. And also, I'll be sharing it in uh, my lectures next week uh, Next at the... Uh, MUFON International Symposium in in Cherry Hill in Philadelphia uh, on the 27th and 28th of July.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Lynn. We'll talk again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Keep looking up. All right. Dr. Lynn uh, dot MufonSymposium.com. My thanks to uh, Ian, Albert, Ryan, and Young North, the apprentice on the board. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.